Hey there, I'm Catalina Villegas. I'm the host of Rolly's Experts Explain Everything podcast. Rolly is the platform where journalists find experts for their stories. It is created by journalists and for journalists. And as a journalist myself, I love to find fascinating people on Rolly, experts with so much knowledge and insight, and yet it rarely makes it past the headlines. So today, I'm bringing on one of those experts to answer all the burning questions I've ever had. I'm chatting with Maria Flynn. She is president and CEO at Jobs for the Future. JFF is a national nonprofit that drives change in American workforce and education systems to achieve economic advancement for all. Maria, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Catalina. It's wonderful to be here with you today. Let's start with your career. How did you first launch a career working in the economy and in, in, in labor policy? Yeah, so it's really... Um goes back to really how I grew up. So when I was growing up, my father was working for the New Jersey State Department of Labor for many years, and my mother was a um, school secretary in our local, uh, back then we called it our local vocational school, or today we would call it a career and technical education school. And so I literally just grew up around issues of different career pathways of uh, jobs and, you know, how to help individuals, particularly workers and learners from underserved backgrounds, advance in the economy. So it's um, something that I have worked on my whole career after college. I went to work for the U.S. Department of Labor, uh, where I was for many years, about 16 years, had a number of terrific roles um, across the department. And in 2007, I decided to leave federal service to come work at Jobs for the Future. And I just feel that, you know, throughout the 30 some years of my career or the you know, decades that my parents worked on these issues before that, um, jobs and how we spend um, our work life and how we prepare ourselves for our careers are just such a critical issue. And one that I feel in this moment of uh, whether we call it the great resignation or the great reshuffling is is more critical than ever. So I'm just it's a passion of mine and it has really been a just, you know, a real pleasure to be working on these um, these issues. That takes me directly into my next question. There's so many things happening in terms of labor right now. Um, as you mentioned, the great resignation, we're also seeing changes in terms of AI. We are feeling a lot of different things um, when it comes to inflation. Um, and I wonder for you, what are some of those top trends that your team is tracking right now that is related to that? And what are you maybe most concerned about? Yeah, you're right. There are so many factors that are um, really kind of merging together, I think, in this moment. So, you know, one, we're, we find ourselves, you know, as we're recording this in July of uh, 2020, so two plus years into the pandemic and all of the shifts that that has caused, um, both in our economy overall and then specifically around jobs. Um, I think the continued changes in automation and technology and the impact that those things have on jobs and how workers um, relate to work and do their work is certainly a, a second one. Um, I think that um, 
what we're feeling now in terms of supply chain shortages, uh, climate change issues, um, the inflation that we're kind of feeling on a daily basis and the uh, possibility of a recession, you know, really adds all that more um, complexity, I think, to the moment that we're in. And so I think it's important to be looking at, you know, all of these factors, how it's impacting workers, how it's impacting um, learners, and particularly, you know, the racial equity implications of these issues and how um, different segments of the population are being impacted uh, differently kind of at this moment and how we can be working now to ensure greater equity and equitable economic advancement moving forward. Right. And that's something that we know is so very important. I wonder if a lot of the work that you do at JFF, um, do these trends that we're seeing now, are, are, do these even make it into your calculations or, or are you so big picture in terms of we're thinking 20, 30, 40 years down the road that even these minor inflation or minor recessions don't necessarily make it into the calculations? Yeah, that's a great question. We really look at it um, in probably probably from two perspectives. So one is really looking at that big picture, looking at long-term trends, looking to see, you know, what futurists are saying about, you know, what the workforce of the future might look like, what the jobs projections are, you know, for the decades to come. But we also realize that, you know, at the end of the day, it really matters how, how work is touching down within a community or within a regional economy. And so a lot of our day-to-day work at JFF is really working with leaders at the federal, state, or local level to really build the equitable pathways for economic advancement and helping to ensure that the education and training programs that are um, offered in those areas are really aligned with uh, real-time labor market demand. So we really think that keeping an eye kind of on both um, time horizons are really important. So really preparing workers and learners, you know, for the jobs of today, as well as for the jobs of the future. And speaking of the jobs of the future, there was a two-year study from McKenzie Global Institute about AI saying that by 2030, robots could replace as much as 30% of the world's current human labor. So I guess my question is, will there even be jobs in the future for us? Yes, I would say absolutely yes. There will still be jobs. I think what will change are the types of jobs and how workers kind of work with and alongside of technology. Uh, I think that's where we'll be seeing, I think, the most significant shift. Um, I'm in the process of helping my oldest um, daughter get ready to go off to college and thinking about what she is packing compared to what I needed to pack when I headed off to college um, 30 plus years ago is a good reminder about how, you know, how much technology changes and how much, how quickly it can change. You know, I was still using like an electronic typewriter, I think, when I went off to college for my freshman year, you know, compared to just how advanced things are, um, now when she's heading off to her dorm. So I think, you know, 
really looking to see how we can continue to design and redesign jobs that um, can use technology to, you know, take the, you know, kind of routine parts of jobs, like, um, and make them easier for, like, humans to take the portions of the jobs that are more, um, you know, kind of especially crafted um, for what they bring, you know, to the roles. So I think that that's where we have, you know, a lot. I think an exciting future to look forward to. I think what's important as part of that is that we continue to help individuals skill and reskill and upskill for those changing roles and making sure that they have the skills that are going to be needed both now and in the future. And I think we need a education system that is agile enough that can keep pace with that technological change. And I think that's where in the U.S. I think we still have um, quite a bit of work to do to make sure that that agility really is there across the board. So I'm not um, too worried about jobs um, disappearing. I think I'm worried about our ability to keep pace with the changing nature of jobs. Now, I do want to get to the education stuff a little bit uh, later because that's very important, right? What are we teaching our kids and how are we preparing them and training them to make sure that they are prepared for whatever future that might be? But I do want to go back on something you touched upon. You mentioned how you know, you are taking your daughter to college and it's so different from when you were in college and the jobs you were training. And if we keep going back, you know, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, the Industrial Revolution, it seems like the way we work and the kinds of things we do have just been changing at such an incredible speed and they seem to be accelerating. Um, can you tell us a little bit about all those different revolutions and how has our relationship to work changed over time? Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating question. And it's um, one that I love to spend time uh, thinking about and digging into, because I think, you know, particularly in the U.S., I think our relationship to work is really shaped by so many factors. There are those kind of macro and microeconomic trends that we touched on earlier. I think there's issues around gender roles and family structure that come into play. I think there's the um, advances in technology that we spoke about. I think all of those things, I think, play a role in how we um, relate to work. I also think that, you know, where we are in this moment and, you know, what we're seeing in the labor market through, um, you know, kind of the great resignation, we'll say, uh, is the I think the expectations that workers have, particularly younger workers like Gen Z workers, that the expectations that they have um, for jobs and their workplaces. And I think that that's exciting and refreshing. And I think to me, it's um, you know wonderful to see that, you know, kind of the generation that's coming into the workforce, you know, feels that sense of empowerment that, you know, I'm a Gen Xer that, you know, my colleagues and I probably didn't see when we were entering the workforce for the first time, like in the 1990s. So I think it's an exciting time, uh, but I think it also is one that requires employers to really be thinking about how to put their workers, you know, at the center of their organizations and the policies that they are um, 
putting in place. And so like at JFF, that has meant, you know, us really looking at our paid time off policies, our remote work policies, um, how we're building a culture of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, you know, within the workplace. And I think it's those trends that we're going to see continue. You know, I don't think that that's something that's going to diminish over time. I think it's going to be something that expands over time. Um, But I think at the same time, there's still a lot that needs to change, you know, in terms of government programs, you know, support that we give. So, for example, for childcare or universal pre-K or um, issues that still really hold um, workers, you know, I'd say particularly women workers uh, back from achieving some of the, you know, career advancement, economic advancement that they're striving for. So I think there needs to be really fundamental changes to both um, kind of the the employer side, but also the government side and how um, we're supporting workers um, and their well-being and their economic well-being. Digging now a little bit more into the education part of this, you know, I remember when I was in school, my teacher said, you know, you have to learn math because you're not going to always have a calculator in your pocket. And (laughs) now I do, you know, and um, (laughs) And someone was telling me the other day, they told me, you know, I don't, I'm not going to have my child learn any languages because, you know, in a few years, they're going to put a microchip in her head and she's going to speak all the languages of the world. And it just left me thinking how, what kind of education do we need to be providing for our kids when we're thinking of preparing them for jobs in the future when it's, it's all changing so quickly. Oh, it's definitely changing quickly. I think there are um, a couple things that I would recommend. So one is, again, I think as a as a nation, there is a lot more that we can be doing to bring, you know, lessons and examples of careers into the classroom um, at an earlier age. You know, so I think really looking at career awareness work-based learning opportunities, internships, you know, other things, you know, really is throughout high school, possibly even as early as middle school, just to really help young people better learn about careers um, and what their options are. Of course, those options are going to continue to change and expand as the years go by. But I think too often, you know, we wait until someone is in 12th grade to really start digging into, you know, what their next steps are going to be. And ideally those conversations and that awareness building really starts happening um, much earlier in the process. And then in terms of the um, kind of the skills and the knowledge, I think, you know, one of the first projects I worked at at the U.S. Department of Labor back in the early 90s was something called SCANS, and it um, stood for Secretary's Commission on Achieving Necessary Skills. And back then, we um, identified a number of skills that were really required in the workforce kind of across um, all jobs. And there are similar lists that uh, still come out today, and I'm struck by how similar those lists are, you know, even though they were developed uh, 30 years apart. So things like teamwork and problem solving and communication skills um, are always going to be 
important. Um, of course, the technology pieces, you know, in the report that we did back in 1992, I don't think we could have imagined what technology would have been like now. So, of course, those things are always going to have to um, evolve and and change and become more sophisticated. But I think that, you know, we have a pretty good baseline understanding of what those core, you know, employability or power skills are. Um, but I think that we need to be looking at how to more effectively be teaching them um, in schools, both teaching them and assessing them. But I think that's the more we can do that, I think the more we'll be assured that we're going to continue to have you know, engaged and skilled workers uh, for the generations to come. Absolutely. That reminds me of a school I recently visited in which they had, for middle schoolers, they had an architecture course and they covered physics and they covered math and they covered design and um, the kids loved the course. And I thought, how cool. When I was in middle school, I would have really probably loved to have taken a, a course on architecture. Um, so yeah, that's that sounds like a really cool solution, and I'm, I'm sure something that some schools are are starting to to implement. Um, so as we're talking of the changes that are coming, I imagine a lot of this needs investment. I know that President Biden, for his 2023 budget, has proposed a 15% increase for the Department of Education, I think 18% in the Department of Labor. How are you hoping those um, monies and that investment gets spent? Yeah, so a few things I would highlight. So um, on the Department of Education side, we're really excited to see that the department is putting an emphasis on what they're calling career-connected learning. So models that really incorporate, you know, some of the things we were just discussing around, you know, bringing work-based learning experiences into the high school, really looking to see how to better um, design equitable pathways between high school and post-secondary um, and the labor market. So that's, we're excited to see that be um, a priority for Secretary Cardona and his team. And on the labor side, um, one of the efforts that JFF is very involved with is the expansion of registered apprenticeship. So a lot of times when folks think of apprenticeship, they think of, um, you know, kind of only jobs in the skilled trades. And we are, you know, one of the groups that's really working to expand. So, of course, continuing the kind of historic focus on skilled trades, but also really bridging into other sectors, whether that be healthcare or finance or advanced manufacturing. Um, and then also really working to diversify um, the characteristics of apprentices, both in terms of race um, and gender and um, also looking at including more individual disabilities and registered apprenticeship programs. So um, it's great to see the Department of Labor having a focus um, on those issues. And then the second thing at DOL that we're excited about is uh, they recently held a good job summit. And so I think having the federal government really having a specific focus on what it means for a job to be a good job or a quality job um, is a great place for the um, federal government to be weighing in. And I think, you know, getting back to our conversation about, you know, putting the workers at the center of um, employer policy, you know, looking at those elements of what makes something a good job is a critical part of that. 
Indeed it is, and I think that we're, we're, we're starting to see this historic shift. One of the other trends that I've been following closely is this growth of unions that we're seeing across many different um, sectors. This is something that kind of was born of the pandemic and of that labor shortage as well. So definitely lots of things happening that are impacting uh, how we think of work and the way we work and where we do our work from. You have so much experience in this field. I wonder what lessons have you learned that you might offer to employers and job seekers alike? Oh, that's a great question. I think for um, for job seekers, and this is whether it's you know a, a high school student who's looking at their next step or an older uh, worker who's looking to change careers, is to you know really. Um, take an expansive look of what opportunities are out there, Um, you know, explore new fields, explore kind of different um, ways of gaining new skills um, and to, you know, really put, you know, an emphasis on kind of that navigation process. I would say that, you know, the country needs to do a better job of helping individuals have the information they need to do that. But I think, you know, for an individual to really think about, um, you know, not just about like, what's the future of work, but what's the future of me, you know, in this evolving economy and, um, you know, kind of global landscape. So I think really having that like individual empowerment is really um, important. And on the employer side, you know, JFF has put out a impact employer framework where we lay out specific steps that employers can take to really have a model where they're putting workers at the center. Um, But I would say, you know, specifically in this moment, I'd say really focusing on employee well-being. Um, I know there's an increased uh, emphasis, you know, really important on uh, mental health, you know, looking to see how to provide more mental health support to employees, you know, really looking to see how to build connectivity, you know, particularly in hybrid or remote work situations, but really kind of leaning in to, to meet this moment, which I do think, you know, in my uh, 30 plus careers is a pretty unique moment in time. And one, I think that's really demanding employers to, to show up in new ways. I wonder you know, we've spoken about so many different topics from, like we mentioned, automation, uh, the great resignation, um, this push towards unions. We know that we're not in a vacuum. Globalization and the work that people do in other parts of the world impacts us here as well. I wonder overall if you could give us a grade of how are we doing? How confident are you in how prepared we are for the the coming changes in our labor market what would you say oh i would say i would give us probably a overall grade of about a c so i'd say we're we're kind of right in the middle i think that um there have been a lot of great uh steps and improvements over the past couple of years like one trend that I'm very encouraged by as we're seeing more and more companies investing in the skills and the advancement of their frontline workers. And so whether that's a um, company like uh, Walmart or Costco or 
um, Amazon, you know, we're seeing many examples of that. Um, but on, you know, in terms of where I think we need more improvement, I think it is um, around really doing intentional work to close the equity gap in terms of economic advancement. So how are we truly providing equitable opportunities to all of our learners and workers? And how are we ensuring that the public systems on both the education and workforce sides are really, you know, not just building off of, you know, systems that were created back during the New Deal, but truly are systems that are preparing us, you know, for the next um, hundred years. And I think too often um, policymakers are not making the hard decisions that are necessary to ensure that we're really equipped for the future. So I think, um, I, I really think these next, you know, 10 years or so are going to be really critical to see, you know, can we as a nation um, both keep pace with the macro trends, but also um, ensuring that we're doing that in a way that increases equity. Maria Flynn helping us prepare for the next 100 years. Maria, thank you so much for all that insight. Well, thank you so much for having me. You can learn a lot more about Maria by visiting jff.org, and you can find hundreds of other exceptional experts at www.rolliapp.com. That's Rolli, R-O-L-L-I-A-P-P.com. I'm Catalina Villegas, and you can always connect with me on social media at Catalina Official, O-F-F-C-L, on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Until next time. <laughs>